From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The athletic calendar starts filling up quickly in mid-February, with the contrast of new campaigns for softball and baseball opening at the same time the stretch runs for basketball begin. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss men's basketball skating on the bubble, women's hoops most impressive week yet, a landmark NIL deal for the Gators, and if Tom Brady belongs on the all-time Mount Rushmore of sports in the PAT. Then, softball coach Tim Walton stops by to preview the 2022 season and reveal the new tricks he's added to his coaching repertoire in the offseason. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is round table time, and uh, round table this week is all about the round ball. We've got Gators Scott, Gators Chris here to talk about big happenings on both the men's side and the women's side. Uh, let's start with the men, Chris. This was a week of games that on the schedule you looked at, you said, okay, these are games Florida has to have as a bubble team. But as we know, just because they're games you have to have, it doesn't mean you're going to get them. And Florida was definitely challenged in both of these games, but made enough plays down the stretch and got two very important wins. Yes, and you can say, um, why don't we just go back and run whatever the conversation was I, we had last week. When, <laughs> uh, although, although that's probably, I mean, we could apply that one to the Ole Miss game Saturday, Adam. That was the game. Uh, Florida was down nine, uh, came back and, you know, pl- played well early on, got back in the game very quickly in the second half, ended up winning the game in overtime. Not a picturesque game, a 62-point game over 45 minutes. Uh, Florida did not play that particularly well, but beat a team that had beat them uh, 10 days earlier. So obviously that was uh, that was important just to kind of get over that. Then uh, Wednesday they're playing the, uh, the team, the cellar dweller in the SEC, Georgia. But also a team that just a few days ago uh, took Auburn uh, down to the wire. Auburn scored with 3.3 seconds left. And I, I think you can say they shouldn't have scored because I don't know if anybody saw that game. That was a charge on Wendell Green uh, at the end of the game that, that went uncalled. But a uh, two-point game against the number one team in the country. So they're perfectly capable. Florida has shown they didn't lose to anybody. But what they've showed uh, the last couple of weeks is they could put together a, a win streak and and show a little bit of toughness when they have to. Now, having said that, it's a uh, it's a 14-point lead with seven minutes to go. And in a flash, at one point, I think Georgia scored 10 points over two and a half minutes. It's a three-point three game. It's a one-possession game with two and a half minutes. It's anybody's game. Mike White calls a timeout. He's furious. Some miscues on defense, but a couple of uh, bad turnovers. One by Tyree Appleby. They talk about playing off two feet all the time. He goes in, flies up in the air off one foot, and you know throws the ball right to a Georgia guy for a transition basket that made it a three-point game. But out of the timeout, Colin Kasson hits a shot. I mean, it's not the best shot you want. A Colin Kasson jumper from the elbow, he makes it. Of course, we haven't even talked about that. Colin Kasson is back. He made he, he returned to the lineup for the Ole Miss game. I think uh, that surprised probably some people. Um, 
people knew he was progressing pretty well, whether it was going to be that game or maybe this one where he came back. But uh, obviously he's a difference maker. Yeah, I think he had a 15 and seven in that game, 13 to nine, almost a double double in this one. Banged his shoulder up a little bit. It's not, it's not a hundred percent. When he gets the ball, I mean, they're firing the post. It's two and three guys are coming at him, which uh, allows some things to happen elsewhere on the floor. And one of the things that happened uh, in that game Wednesday, Adam, was Myron Jones. Man, give this guy credit. I mean, he was going nowhere fast. He'd been benched. I mean, he was shooting around 21% from the three-point line. This is a 37-and-a-half career three-point shooter when he arrived on campus from Penn State. But over the course of the last three games, whatever it is, um, and I'll get to that in a second, he's 16 of his last 23. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's kind of finding his rhythm a little bit. Mike White clued the media people in after the game that he fractured his, uh, his index finger, uh, against USF, Hmm. uh, back in middle of December and has been playing with a splint on it and it's on his non-shooting hand, but you know, maybe, maybe there's some to that it's, it's healed, it's healed, uh, or almost healed. So maybe he's figuring some things out with that. And that's, uh, and that's that, that's going to help this team, Adam. If you if you start, if you get a, a, a really good three point shooter going, like he is. He's now, I think, in just three games, he's gone from twenty nine percent on the season up to thirty four and a half on the season, and that's that's a respectable number right there. But I don't expect him to stay at this clip. But my gosh, if he can shoot around 40%, um, that's a difference maker for this basketball team right now. Well, and they're going to need difference makers for this next stretch. So if if last week was you know, the, the gimme games, so to speak, coming up. I mean, you're starting to look at, at the end game here. Seven games left the regular season, two of them against Kentucky, one of them against Auburn, one against an Arkansas team that obviously is flying super high after a storm in the court and beating Auburn. Um, and that, it starts with this week. We're talking about back-to-back road trips at Kentucky, at Texas A&M. Um, talk about the, the challenges that this team is going to face now against teams that are you know playing much better than some of the ones that they, they just beat. Yeah, and don't and don't undersell a road game at AM. I, I think in, in as far as metrics go, that will be a quad one opportunity. If not, it's going to be right on, right on the edge of it. So we're t- like you said, it's at Kentucky at AM, home against Auburn game that's already sold out. That should be rocking here on a Saturday at 2 o'clock. Um, and then a home uh, three days later, Tuesday night against Arkansas, um, who, like you just said, you know, crazy environment Tuesday night in, in upsetting. Biggest win in, in, in at Bud Walton in probably 25 years, I would imagine. But uh, Florida is firmly sitting on the bubble right now, but I think they are on the outside right now because of the lack of quality wins. They beat Ohio State early in the year. I know a lot of people love that Florida State game early in the year, of course, but that's that's not that's not a quad one win. They're one in five in quad one games. Now they're looking at potentially uh, four straight quad one opportunities. Certainly, uh, no worse than quad two on one of those games, the the A and M game. Don't look now, but at Georgia after that Arkansas game, uh, uh, Georgia. We just mentioned what they did to Auburn. They beat Alabama earlier in the year. Um, after that, they go to Vanderbilt and. Don't look now, but Vanderbilt could potentially be a quad one. They're just a couple spots out of wow. that being a potential quad one opportunity. And they finish at home on senior day uh, or grad transfer day, however you want to look at it, <laughs> against Kentucky. So the opportunities are all there to rise and fall uh, with with how Florida performs. The last couple of weeks has been a very, very light part of the schedule. In fact, a couple of the wins have dropped them down in the uh, NCAA evaluation tool metrics. So 
Yeah, it's it's always better to win. Of course, you could if if they if wins drop them down, you can imagine what losses would have done to their yeah. uh, to to their case. But it's not a great case right now. Their strength of schedule uh, uh, non conference is not very good. Uh, the last seven years, it had been the best in the league. This year, I want to say it's seventh or eighth right now. So it's there in front of you. Obviously, going on the road to Rupp Arena, where the Gators I think have won seven times in their history uh, at in Lexington. That's going to be very difficult. A&M is going to be a difficult game. Auburn, Arkansas, it speaks to itself. So, but at the same time, your coach, you pitch it as opportunity. Um, they, you got to play these teams. They're on your schedule. They just happen to come uh, rapid fire right now. Very similar to how Florida rolled out of the box uh, against Alabama, Auburn, and LSU to start the SEC play. They'll be finishing very strong too. They got Colin Castleton. Uh, that's a plus. If Myron Jones is squaring his jump shot a little bit, if Tyree Appleby can keep playing the way he's playing. Maybe, you know, he's, he's, there's just going to be some sink and swim with him. That's just, that's just the kind of player he is, but uh, a four game winning streak. They're feeling a little bit better about themselves, but they could feel a whole lot. But when we talk next week, if they can get one of these two, um, I think they would sign those papers right now. Uh, But the big week I think is the following week at when you get Auburn at home and Arkansas at home, you can maybe so-called signature wins, um, those will be there for the taking on the home floor and uh, in an environment which should be pretty electric uh, for those two games. When it comes to women's basketball, Scott, this is, I mean, we've talked about it a few times. And I think every time we talk about it, we, we take the approach of what an amazing story this is. But there's always this sense of, well, the other shoe is going to drop because we're looking at historical trends. We know what the program has done in the past. And, and we just assume that, that that story will play out in a certain way. And it keeps surprising, I think, us and everybody that's not in the program at almost every turn to where I want to say in the last couple of weeks, the thing that I most consistently hear from Gator fans is about this women's basketball team and maybe their most impressive week yet with wins over Tennessee, a 20 point blowout over Tennessee, who was in the top 10, and then a road victory against Georgia, a top 10 team, top 15 team, uh, where Florida has almost never won. I mean, it, it is truly amazing what this group is doing. Yeah, it is, Adam. I mean, you love to see a, a team kind of come out of nowhere and surprise people. I mean, that's part of what makes sports fun. That's part of what drew my interest in sports. Um, the Gators women's basketball team has been doing that. I mean, you look at what they've done in their recent stretch, five wins against ranked opponents. They finally got ranked, which was good. They're 19th mm-hmm. after that win at Georgia. First time, obviously, since December of 2016 that they've cracked the rankings. And I, I think, you know, as they get more and more exposure at them and pe- more and more people are starting to pay attention to, let's face it, a program that, quite frankly, hasn't gotten a lot of attention the last four or five years. And when it has, it's, it's been of the negative kind, either losing or a coaching change or, mm-hmm. or just things that, you know, they'd love to put behind them. And you didn't know if that was even possible this year going into this season with Kelly Ray Finley taking over as interim coach in a, a short time span, really before the season started. And you wonder what that was going to look like and, what it looks like to me right now is a team that really loves playing for Kelly Ray Finley. Uh, she's doing a really good job, I think, on the X and O's part of it, the motivation part of it, building that such important team chemistry. And they're fun to watch. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, you watched that game Sunday, and you, you that game was 
really tight down the stretch. And, you know, they had a game similar to that at home earlier this year against the Bulldogs, and they kind of crumbled down the mm-hmm. stretch. But this time, it looked like a different team. They made big plays. I think they scored the game's final eight points. And they give, they leave Athens with another big win. And, again, each time they win, it raises the bar, especially among the fan base. Like, there's just more attention being paid. And uh, it's been one of the more surprising stories that I think has come along in my time here at the UAA and covering Gator sports because, again, I just – I didn't see it coming, and I've been out now to the last three home games. You know, they beat LSU, which was a big win. Then they lost to Texas, or they lost to number one South Carolina by that. Just had a miserable first quarter, but then played them well for the final three quarters. And then, I, I mean, without question, the best they've ever played in a game I've attended was that 25 point win over Tennessee. I mean, that's their signature performance of the season so far in my book. Yeah. And, uh, and they've got it going. I mean, now you're talking about 17 and six, seven and three in the SEC. Now you're thinking, okay, what, what can this team do? You know, and I think that's what the fans, that's why they're excited. What can this team do? And now we're just, we're going to kind of lock in and see the next few weeks are going to be a very uh, important. It's so interesting with any team dynamic when you're the, the upstart, the underdog, because now, Florida is, they have everyone's attention, right? They're not going to sneak up on people anymore. And in the next week, they've got Mississippi State and Auburn both on the road. Both of those teams are near the bottom of the SEC. And theoretically, Florida should be able to win those games. But this is where I'm really curious, Scott, to see, can they make that transition from being the underdog to the favorite in some of these games? And when they're getting people's best shot now, if they weren't before, what does that look like? That's that's the next hurdle, not just for this team, but really any team in the position that, that they've put themselves in. No, you're exactly right, Adam. And now it's a it's a new test for for this team, uh, one they haven't really experienced yet. Because you're right, nobody's gonna they're not gonna come in and surprise you know Mississippi State, Auburn, wherever they go from now on. Uh, everybody, hey Florida, you know you've got other coaches in the league talking, you've got the media talking uh, about this team, and suddenly. Uh, they're getting a lot of attention in their own fan base. And how do they uh, respond to being patted on the back? You know, that's mm-hmm. the old coach. How, you know, how are they going to respond? And The rat poison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rat poison. What Every coach has his own kind of uh, label for it. Certainly Nick Saban loves that rat poison. I'm as curious as you are to see how they respond because this is uh, uncharted territory for them. And – all I could say is from what I've seen, I mean, I don't know how they're going to play this week uh, with the spotlight more on them, but I'll, I just, I've, seen, well, I've seen enough to know that they play hard for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. They play tough for 40 minutes. They're just gritty. I mean, it's, it really is a team that embodies, I think, you know, Kelly Ray Finley's kind of a positive approach. Uh, you know, she's really encouraging of the players during games, after games. Uh, they, they're bought into what she's trying to establish in the program. And now, you know, she's, you know, she's talking to them about what we're talking about right here. You mm-hmm. know, she's going to deliver a message to them uh, this week saying, Hey, you know, we've, we've got some momentum on our side. We're getting some, uh, some positive uh, publicity. Let's don't, let's don't let that go to our heads. Let's go out here and do what we've been doing. 
uh, and beat these teams that really they should beat. One of the things that, that we've talked a lot about in the last, I guess, you know, six, seven months since it's become a thing is NIL, which is the name, image, and likeness, and how it's impacting college athletics. Uh, I guess you could ask certain people and they'll deny it as a big impact, like Jimbo Fisher, who uh, would, took, uh, took serious offense to the idea that that's why they signed a record-setting class. Um, but this is very much becoming a part of college athletics, and we're still figuring out what it looks like. I do think something pretty unique in that space happened in the last week with Florida, and that is the Gator Collective, which is basically an organization that's been created to provide NIL opportunities for Gator athletes, signing an official deal with the Gators to be a sponsor of Gator Athletics. This is this is kind of the, the next step in that evolution, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, it's certainly one of them. I think it's an important one. Uh, you know, the Gator Collective had a lot of momentum uh, with the fan base. Uh, it's, you know, started and led by Eddie Rojas, who's a former Gators baseball player turned businessman. And uh, they're doing some really, I think, important things in that NIL space because – Let's face it, the, the, the space is still emerging, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you've, you've got a lot of different, I guess, companies working with schools such as Influencer and Open Doors and some other ones and some that I'm sure I don't even know about because I, it seems like I've been reading more about this lately just because I'm like you and I think the casual fan, you realize, wow, this has really picked up steam in the last six months and ever since the law was passed in the state of Florida, uh, you know, at first it took a little while and the COVID, I think, impacted some things. But you started really seeing things turn around uh, during football season in 2021. And and now it's almost like in full bloom. And, you know, I think it's a it's a big education period for the student athletes. I mean, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch where it goes. I think there's there's going to be segments of it where, you know, a lot of it, is going to really help these. I mean, it's all going to help the student athlete and I'm all for that. And there's a lot of it that's going to be, I think going to benefit them in the way that the leaders in college sports and the people who put together NIL laws, I think envision, and that's with local companies working with your student athletes and giving them opportunities where they can make some money because of their, their position as Florida Gators or, you know, Notre Dame Fighting Irish or whatever school they're at. But these big programs and the profile that these athletes have, let's face it. I mean, it's a great opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I think the Gator Collective being one of those, at least in the Florida space, has emerged as one of the leaders in that that area. And uh, it's been a good job, a good, really almost like a grassroots Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. online and I mean a lot of fans have gotten behind them and you know I think maybe it's more directed at, at football and maybe men's basketball and the those sports at least the perception the fan base and that's where it seems that they want that attention focused and then you have all this another whole segment as I talked about that's uh, that works with a lot of other college sports and there's I don't even know I mean I think as far as the sponsorship Adam I think the UAA, if I heard correctly, I mean, there's like 90 different sponsors uh, hmm. that they have that they work with. And of course, now with you know, I, NIL being in place, it just opens up more avenues and more opportunities to, okay, how can we use these connections and these agreements that we have to 
you know, help benefit these student athletes and give them opportunities. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an expert at all in the, the whole movement. I'm right. learning a lot like everybody else, but I am very interested to see at the speed it's moving and, and where it's going to go. And, uh, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be some bad players in it. We all know that wherever there's money, there's going to be people trying to turn a quick buck. But I do believe that I know just from my experience and knowing what's going on internally at the UA, I know they're trying to really, it's important to them to establish proper systems in place to where the student athletes can feel comfortable and, uh, you know, feel like that they're, they're using the, taking advantage of the system at hand. And so, but again, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be interesting, man. Do you have any NIL opportunities yet? Because I have not, I don't have any. Not yet. I'm, I'm sure the offer, the offers are, are likely just days away. Um, and I say that today and I'd probably say it in a week too, because I'll just keep kicking the can since there won't be anything coming in. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have any either, but I think really <laughs> my chain, my thinking on this whole topic, I was changed. I remember when it first popped up three, four years ago, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to benefit mostly the big time football right. players, you know, may, okay. So finally they can get a deal with the local car dealership or, uh, you know, they can do a commercial for a real estate agent in town or something. And, and I think those opportunities do exist, but I've seen it now how it's really kind of coming together. And I'm seeing how gymnasts, volleyball players, really across all spectrum. The I mean, the, again, it goes back to the profile that these student athletes have. Being at a school like Florida, there's a lot of interest in companies out there of working with these athletes. And I, and I, I've just seen a couple of the student athletes here and there. I mean, they, they know what the opportunity is a lot better than I do. And I think they're, they're seeing things and taking advantage of those opportunities. So a lot of credit to them because, you know, I, like I said, I didn't pay as much attention to it at first as I have lately, but it is definitely a game changer in college sports. Uh, It's going to continue to evolve and, who knows what it will look like in a few years, but I think it's changed the landscape forever. Let's turn our attention now to the PAT. Um, and, and this PAT needed a little bit of time to simmer, uh, mostly because last week when it would have been more topical, Tom Brady was still non-committal as to whether or not he wanted Adam Schefter to have correctly reported that he retired a few days prior. Uh, but it's a question that a lot of people have asked, and it, it's, a, it's a sensible one. Now that it is supposedly done. Maybe he comes back. He probably could if anybody could. Um, where does Tom Brady fit on the ultimate Mount Rushmore? If you want to just limit it to four people, you don't have to. Uh, but when it comes to the, the greatest athletes of all time, does Brady belong in the most rarefied of rarefied air? And who would he share that with? You can break it down a lot of different ways. When you when you say, okay, the Mount Rushmore of North American sports, pro sports. I mean, with the way the NFL is today being truly the most popular sport in America by far, uh, the most watched, the most covered, uh, the most dissected, I mean. And with the most parody. One of the teams in the Super Bowl had the number one pick two years ago. So that doesn't happen in any other sport. No, no, that's true. And Tom Brady's whole career basically has been in that era. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he he's he and he's been the star of this era. And, you know, I can look back. OK, you think back 100 years ago. It's kind of like Babe Ruth was the star of Major League Baseball 
back when it really truly took off. I mean, he was he was the launching pad in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And now, hundred years later, you got Tom Brady as being the face of the biggest sport in America and the biggest winner. I mean, what he's done in the game, no one has ever done at quarterback and just titles and, and longevity. I mean, he's had an amazing career on all fronts. And and then he's also, you know, let's face it, he's got movie star looks, a beautiful model wife. He's got the whole package, Adam. So that adds to his stature, I guess you could say, his profile. And then, of course, I mean, if any kind of chatter like this, to me, Michael Jordan has to be on there. Mm-hmm. Uh he would be on there just because I think he – I think part of what he did during his career in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, I think he he took professional sports and married it to marketing and branding in a way that had never done before. So these athletes that used to be known – I mean, as a basketball player, great basketball player, now they're known beyond that. They're known worldwide, right. uh, you know, as a pitchman. So – I think Tom Brady's on there. Michael Jordan's definitely on there. Tiger Woods, uh, you know, in his game, is he as big as Brady was in his game? Certainly. Is he as big as Jordan was in his game? Certainly. Uh, you know, I can, I can, I can state a case for Tiger Woods. I, I think he probably would deserve to be on there. It's and you know, and then baseball. I mean, I don't know if you can even a hundred years later, can you top Babe Ruth? Those four, if I had, if you say, Scott, you have to pick four players or four people in professional sports history on your Mount Rushmore, I feel pretty comfortable with those four. Well, first of all, to your point, uh, the best thing about the who's on the Mount Rushmore of this, that, or the other conversation with you, you have to limit it to four because Mount Rushmore only has four heads. Okay, sure. so so we're going to limit it. We're going to limit it to four. We're not going to have 25 people on Mount Rushmore. Uh, you'd have to like carve out of uh, Mount Everest or something like that. Yes, yeah. But um, you know, Scott Scott has. Uh, I, I'm going to disagree with him a little bit on the. I mean, I, I think of Mount Rushmore in the team sports, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, certainly you can make a case for Tiger, and I, I and you know, I, and I got I got no problem with that. But I mean, I I think you got to have Gretzky up there, and I, I'm I'm just trying to pick out one from each sport. I mean, it, it is Jordan. It is. Uh, 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 Gretzky. It is, it is Babe Ruth. And if you had asked me maybe two years ago who my NFL guy was, I probably would have said Jim Brown. I probably would have stuck with that just because I think so much of, of football and I, again, I'm older, but he was the first definitive guy. Everyone compared everyone to Jim Brown. I know Walter Payton eventually broke stuff, but Jim Brown was a different animal. And won championships and uh, was most famous athlete in the country for 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 a long time. And he was there. He was there with Mickey Mantle and stuff when we were talking about your you know that era. But uh, Tom Brady, man, to do what he did at, at his age and to do it, you know, for another team in Tampa and to just kind of say, you know, totally, totally dismissed any sort of insinuation that it was a Patriot Way thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it was. I think it was a Brady thing. Yeah. And maybe I'll be proven wrong if Bill Belichick coaches 10 more years and wins a couple more Super Bowls. Good for him. But uh, I think Tom Brady uh, replaces Jim Brown in my uh, in my NFL spot on, on Mount Rushmore. Um, now, if we were going with what Scott talks about, have Tiger and we have the – Yeah, Ali. I mean, you, you have to have a separate – 
Is there a separate mountain for individual sports? Yeah, you got Ali, Tiger Woods, um, got to be one of these tennis guys who, you know, like Nadal, some female athletes, for God's sakes. Yeah, you know, especially, especially, especially this day and age now. Mm-hmm. Is it Martina? Is it, is it Steffi Graf? Or is it Annika Sorenstam or Serena? Yeah, it's a, it's a, the Mount Rushmore conversation is a, is you got, there have been people that I think been shot in bars. The beauty of the Mount Rushmore discussion is that it is perpetual, it is never-ending, and the next generation will have maybe different faces they want to put on it. Um, but one thing we know for sure is that the Mount Rushmore of FloridaGators.com, 100% that oh, Scott boy. Carter and Chris Harry are on that Mount Rushmore, and they'll continue to stay there as long as they're churning out content for you over on FloridaGators.com. Also, follow these guys for the latest on Twitter, at GatorsScott, at GatorsChris. Uh, And we will talk to them again next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Adam. Entering his 17th season at the helm of the powerhouse softball program, Tim Walton finds himself in an unusual position, trying to get back onto the biggest stage. With no NCAA tournament in 2020 and an unexpected exit from Super Regionals last season, the program hasn't been to the Women's College World Series since 2019 marking the longest calendar stretch without touching down in Oklahoma City since the program's dominance began in 2008. But while it's easy to start looking down the road from the outside looking in, Walton and his team are much more focused on Week 1 and Game 1, which takes place on Friday in Tampa. The, the biggest key when you're starting to get prepared for the season is you're you're preparing for the first game. You're really trying to get your team confidently moving um, for all the parts of the first game. And that's, we spend so much time in the fall and so much time in the preseason getting our lineup set and our defense set and our pitching stuff going. And then all of a sudden you play one game and then everything's out the window. You do all these adjustments, game two, game three, game four, because really everything's really been internal over the last month. You know, everything we're doing is just against us. And so um, I think the biggest key is you, you almost over-prepare and then adjust. It's a lot easier to prepare and adjust than it is to not be prepared and then not know what you're going to adjust for, you know, moving forward with so many different opponents in the first, you know, three to four weeks of the season. How does practice differ preseason compared to once games start? Does it change your, I mean, your objectives or your, your goals different in practice? Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, and, and as you evolve as a team each year, and as coaches evolve with their team each year, you take a lot of the goods and you take a lot of the bads from, from past experiences to say, hey, Thursday night before we play a Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend series, you know, maybe we over-practiced you know, that time or maybe we under-practiced. We had a really good practice. It was crisp. It was easy. I can tell you right now that I've had some of the best practices ever on a Thursday night and turned around and had a terrible weekend. And I can tell you we've had some really – you know, just uh, long, drawn out, just terrible practices and trying to master X, Y, and Z and gone out and had an unbelievable weekend of, uh, of series. So there's no magic formula um, for, for really what's going to be successful uh, against another team, another opponent. Um, but I think the, the main thing is, is really, you know, when the season evolves, where are you at? from a, you know, win loss record, where are you at for an opponent? What do they prevent problems? What are they, what are, what are some of their weaknesses? 
And then you have the health and safety part of your team. You know, you, you don't want to over practice. You don't want to overgo. You don't want to over train and then hit a wall and, and, and not be able to ultimately perform at a high level. So I think you take all those things into consideration. And, um, you know, I'm one of those that, you know, really leans on my players. I have a, a couple of players on my team that I lean on and I ask them, hey, where are we at? How's your arms? Where's your bodies? Um, and some will say, hey, we, 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 we need to go really hard today. Or, you know, hey, I don't I don't like the vibe of of, of, of where we're at right now. Um, you know, we, we, we need to go. We, we need to practice harder or we need to go longer or, hey, we're, we're, we're tired. You know, the trip wore us out, uh, you know, that, that the weekend series, the weather, the, the temperature of the weather, whatever it is. So I think any good coach listens and, and, and watches their players and observes what they're what they look like and then figures what you know, tries to figure out what button to push to to get the ultimate you know, best result for the whole entire team, for the whole entire program. Hmm. You know, it's hard to believe, but it's been almost 15 years since the the first trip for the program to the Women's College World Series. And that's sort of set a standard that, you know, a successful season is one that ends in Oklahoma City. Um, and last year that, that didn't happen. So I, I wonder, as you look back on that, and as you moved on from it, to what degree do you keep some of that as fuel? Or is it put it in the past, new team, and forget what happened to end last year? Well, you know, that's easy to say because the the coaches are still here. Um, <laughs> the captains are still here. You know, you've yeah. got some some people that are here. So, you know, I think, you know, this is one thing that you, when, when, you're, when you're fortunate enough to be in one place for the, as long as I've been, uh, you start to really weigh in and you start to become a little bit more of a, you know, a, an observer, um, in the trenches, you're not at 10,000 feet anymore. You're not just looking from afar, you're in it and you feel it. So I think the first thing you do is your administration, you know, your administration, what is your administration, you know, deemed successful, you know, that's, it starts right there. What is a successful season in their mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, you know, the fans are going to have something totally different. They have a, they have something that they deem successful. And then you ultimately have the players and then the players, and then you have the coaches. And I think every on that, on those four fronts, um, those are what you're really hitting on all the time. No matter how good of a season you have, you're probably not going to hit everything that your, your, your fan base wants you to hit on. Um, you know, no matter how, how much you deem successful, you're never going to hit on it from a player standpoint or from a coach's standpoint. And then administration, you know, they, they ultimately are, you know, the, the ones in charge of, you know, really, and whether it be an administration, whether it be a general manager, whether you be an owner, you know, whatever your title is. I think it's really key to understand that there's so many different layers to success and, uh, and failure or, or lack of success, if you don't want to call it failure. So from our standpoint, you know, we won the SEC last year with the 2021 SEC champions. Um, you know, we, we won our ninth title as a program, eighth um, you know, under me in my time here. And I can tell you it was awesome. I mean, to, to be able to win the championship, not only the way we did it, but to just you know, to do it with a new new batch of players and some kids that have never won the SEC before, it was awesome for our fans to celebrate with us here, um, and for the SEC to have to have that on the last pitch mm-hmm. of the season was a cool you know storytelling process. But um, and then you go through the the, the regionals where we, we play very well, and then you get to super regionals and we play very poorly, and uh, you know our opponent outplayed us and outhit us, pitched us, defended us, ran bases on us. And, uh, you know, we end the season as SEC champions, but defeated in Super Regional. So um, I've asked our players, you know, what's more important to you? Do you want to win an SEC championship or do you want to get to the College World Series? 
I've asked our fans, you know, what's more important to you? Do you want to win an SEC or you want to get to the College World Series? And it seems to me that the most important thing in Florida softball is getting to the College World Series. It seems to me that that's what everybody wants. That's what everybody craves. That's what everyone wants to be a part of. And so it goes back to the early parts of, our, of my coaching when I told our team, hey, the SEC championship is just a byproduct of your work week in and week out. We're never going to go in and not trying to win. Um, but the goal is still to keep your eye on the prize, which is to get to the College World Series. National championships, you know, to me, it's not something you talk about until, you know, Sunday or Monday on your way to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And you get yourself ready to play for a national championship. And, you know, I think that that's, um, you know, that's, that's where I, I believe that the, all of our focus is on and all of our focus will be on. Um, because last year, again, we, we, we sized up new rings. We designed some new rings. And, you know, everywhere I go and everywhere I read and everywhere I see, but there's a but. Mm-hmm. SEC champions, but didn't get to the College World Series. SEC champions, but. And so to me, um, it's the beauty of building a, you know, a program yeah. that has set sights on a, on a totally different prize. And, um, and I embrace that. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's going to shy away from competition. So um, it is what it is. We've created a, we've created a great experience and opportunity for so many people, staff, uh, for so many people, player. And it's a, it's, it's a cool thing to be, be doing every day. You mentioned the makeup of this team and, and having a lot of experience. And, and part of that is because of the, the COVID year and you've got some grad students, some fifth year seniors. Um, what does it mean to have the kind of experience that you do and how is that going to really shape and impact this team? Yeah, as much experience as we have and you know, as many older players as we have, you know, I did a, I did a little straw poll. Of, hey, how many of you have been to the College World Series? Raise your hand. And there's not very many of them. So, um, you know, with that being said, the COVID year didn't didn't have a College World Series championship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did we we don't go in 21, so we don't go in 20. So then you take uh, you take 19 and, and 18, and so um, ultimately we don't have a lot of players that have that have um, you know been to the College World Series. And so we've got a lot of work to do on that end, you know, being able to understand, you know, what it's going to take to get back to the College World Series. And um, but I think that. You know, the players that we do have, you know, the, the Hannah Adams, the Natalie Lugo, you know, Marissa Misimore. Um, when I when I start looking at some of the the older players that we have like them, and then you take some of our fourth year players, Elizabeth Hightower, Cheyenne Lindsay, mm-hmm. um, Charlotte Eccles, uh, Skylar Wallace. Um, these are players that even though they haven't done it a, a ton for us, um, they're still older players and they still are understanding they're getting to the end of their academic career. You know, they understand their majors, they understand their tough classes and things like that. Elizabeth's now working on her, you know, her master's degree. So we're pretty mature. And I think that's the one thing that, that I appreciate is we're really good at, at we're, we're very youthful in some of mm-hmm. our talent. We've got some very, very young, talented players, but with that being said, we're also a mature team. And, and I do like the way, our team comes to work pretty much every day. And um, I think that has a lot to do with players just really understand, um, you know, what professional work uh, ethic is like. And and we have that. Every year you bring in incredible recruiting classes, which means there's always opportunities for freshmen to see the field and and play a significant role Uh, on this team in particular. What are you expecting from your newcomers and what should fans be looking for? 
Yeah. So when you start with newcomers, um, I think the first newcomer you have to star is is Skylar Wallace. Um, you know, she's an all SEC type performer at Alabama transferred to us, sat out last season. She's played at the college world series. I think she single-handedly beat us when we were here in Gainesville. Um, she's really good. She's super athletic. Um, she does a lot of things. I think the, the style of play, you know, I, I, she's a, she's a hybrid player. She's a throwback type player. She's, she's, she's fast. She's athletic. Um, she can hit home runs. She can run the bases. She can create havoc on the bases. She's going to steal bases. Uh, really good. Um, you know, very dynamic. Um, and then you, when you go to the, to the, really the next three, probably major contributors, you're going to go to Lexi Delbury. Um, and, and Lexi says Lexi Delbray, but if you look at, and so she's Lexi Delbray from Bainbridge, Georgia, um, talented freshman pitcher for us, um, throws hard, changes speeds, a lot of movement to her pitches. Um, you know, she's going to see a significant amount of innings in the preseason to see exactly where she's at and what she can do. And, you know, obviously the, the, the consistency, uh, for her. So when I look at Lexi, then I go, uh, Reagan Walsh is going to bat fourth and play shortstop for us. Wow. For most of our Gator fans, probably would um, remind them of a of a young Megan Bush potentially. Um, you know, has that kind of power, power to all fields, um, good throwing arm. And then we got Kendra Falby. Uh, Kendra Falby is a, an outfielder, and she's fast. She can run, creates havoc, will create havoc on the bases. She's going to put a lot of pressure on the infield to throw her out. She's she's quick. Those three will probably play the most significant role as freshman newcomers. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they're freshmen. You know, I think that's the key is that, you know, they're young, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to, you know, they, they're still trying to figure out exactly where all their classes are at all the time in school. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's going to take them a little bit of the time and they've they had a great, they had really good falls. But with that being said, I think the, you know, when you play real games and real season, things change a little bit at times. And, um, Marissa Misimore is a grad transfer for us from Florida Gulf Coast. She'll pitch. Um, she's going to hit as well. She probably can hit when she pitches. She'll also come off the bench and hit a little bit as well. So um, has some power. Um, you know, I think she has the ability to hit some doubles and home runs for us. Um, but I think those five are our newcomers that should see significant amount of time. You know, again, first day in your uniform, still first day. It doesn't matter what year mm-hmm. you are doesn't mean it matter how many years you've coached. It's still first day and you still get excited about first day. And, you know, with that being said, I think first day is always like, a oh, gosh, you just cross your fingers and mm-hmm. you'll see what you're going to get. Uh, you talked last year about what it meant to have someone like Amanda Lorenz on the coaching staff and making that transition. And now you have Kendall Lindemann doing the same thing. What does it mean to have those type of players who have you know such a deep experience within the program, then building to maybe the, the next stage of their careers in the sport as part of your staff? You know, I, I think of this in a couple different ways. Number one, I think of it when you're trying to, to build brand identity and you talk about recruiting and you talk about culture and you talk about things that are super important to Florida Gators. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to start with former recruits, former players, um, and I think that that's what Kendall and Amanda really do for us is they're able to provide our players um, a really good sense of, you know, kind of this is the way. This is the way. This is how it's going to be. This is how it is. 
and they can prep them for things or they can help them with, you know, certain anxieties or they can help them with certain, you know, experiences to, to deal with certain situations, whether it be social media responses, whether it be media inquiries, whether it be opponents, whether it be prepping for a game, post game, pre game. And then, and then the other part of it is, like I said, is the, the brand and, and, and really, you know, what we can do to improve you know, our overall recognition, our overall um, ability to provide, you know, cool resources for recruits, um, you know, some things that are really important to them in the recruiting process. So you're able to really collect a lot of information on the field, but also off the field, they're able to provide, you know, whether it be our administration, our coaching staff, our program, just some, some important little you know, bullet points, things that we don't want to lose, no matter what year it is, no matter what the outcome of the season is, you want to make sure you keep those, you know, those standards, those things that are really important to this program and in place and, and important to, to Florida, to the university of Florida and to more importantly, the, you know, the athletic director, the athletic department at the university of Florida. This actually builds off that, but I know it wasn't quite how everyone hoped it would be. I know you wanted to be in Tokyo in, in actual 2020 and seeing the return of softball. It didn't quite happen that way, but as, as, as it relates to the brand and, and just your own personal pride, what did it mean to see Aubrey Monroe, Kelsey Stewart, Michelle Moultrie out there competing for the U.S. in the Olympics and, and knowing what they did and, and the role that you had in, in getting them there? You know, um, National Women's in Sport and National Girls Women in Sport Day was uh, it was two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the, the thing for me, that I really reflected a lot upon was just really how hard it was for anybody who competed in the Olympics in 2021, supposed to be Tokyo 2020, but the ability for, you know, for, for those athletes from all countries, from all sport to be able to stay focused and continue to work and to continue to, 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 to stay at that level was so challenging and for for our athletes, you know, again, USA softball, the way they played um, was was just I don't know. I just had a lot of um, admiration for the way they played, a lot of pride. I did, caught myself, you know, putting on my USA T-shirt, my um, USA softball T-shirt on game day, set my alarm for a couple of the games that were really early in the morning. Mm-hmm. One was really late at night. And I watched and I followed and um, I was a fan. But to your question to watch Aubrey and to see Michelle and to watch Kelsey hit a game winning walk off home. I mean, that Mm -hmm. stuff was awesome for me to be able to be again, a fan, former coach. I I had a lot of pride for, 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 for them and, um, and a lot of respect for the way they did it, the way they competed. Obviously they, they lost the the gold medal game, but they did it um, in style. They did it with class Mm-hmm. And they represented, you know, softball players around around this country very well. And I was I was really proud of them. I, I, I think that's the the best way to say it is just super proud of their professionalism and super proud of the way they competed, given that it was it was really difficult. You, you touched on this earlier when we were talking about reflecting from last year. But one of the things that I know all the best coaches do is you're just in a constant state of reflection and you're learning and you grow. So I see that right now you're actually wearing a shirt that says, uh, be your own goat. I don't know if that's part of what is uh, what has inspired you since the end of last season. But I'm just curious how you feel like you've grown and evolved since the end of last year. What 
I don't know if it was a book that you read. Is there something that's given you some new perspective or, or inspired you in some way? Well, you know, be your own goat um, is, a, is a phrase that's coined and it's a hashtag that's coined and, you know, probably even trademarked. But uh, a friend of mine gave me the shirt um, and gave me some gear and it was really cool. I just, you know, when I, I it's the, this is the first day I've actually wore it. It's a, it's a, it's a debut. <laughs> it's a debut for this shirt. Yeah. And, you know, I've already gotten a couple people to notice it. And the bottom line is, is that, you know, in, in everything that you do, when you look in the mirror, when you, when you put your head on your pillow, you have to be 100% completely satisfied with your day, with your week, with your year. And um, how we do stuff is never going to be 100%. Uh, you're, you're never going to get 100% approval rating on anything you do. And, um, you know, I heard from, I listened to an athletic director talk in a podcast and he said, you know, I'm hoping for a 51% approval rating and I think I'm doing a pretty good job. And I, I just laugh. And you know, I think that's, it's so funny that we as, you know, as, as, as humans, um, you know, really, really need approval to be honest with yeah. you at times. And so uh, I think when I, when I look back on last year, um, one of the things that I really tried to, to focus on more this year with my staff first player second is do not, don't tell me what you can't do. Show me what you can do. I don't want to hear what you can't do. Show me what you can do. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hear what the problem is. We got, oh, so-and-so can't hit a drop ball. So-and-so can't throw a changeup. So-and-so can't throw from the outfield at this angle. So-and-so can't throw on the run in the infield. That's a, 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 that's a captain obvious statement. I don't want to hear the captain obvious statements anymore. Um, if we don't have an answer, if we don't know how to fix it or we can't fix it or it can't be fixed, then let's let throw that to the side. Let's move on to the stuff that really matters. And um, so many people just say, well, that, oh, they can't, they can't do this or they can't do that or they can't do this or they can't do that. But if you're that good, fix it. Why, if you can't <laughs> fix it, then why are we spending so much time talking about it? And, right. you know, it goes back to my kind of my, the things that are really important to me in coaching. And that is, I would much rather spend more time on your strengths than your weaknesses. I want to bring out the best in you, not focus so much on the worst in you. And, um, you know, playing softball is a really, th really tough thing to do, especially for a hitter. And um, as a hitter, you're going to fail more than you succeed. And how you deal with that is so important. So um, these are things that, that my staff knows, like, come on, just what's the solution to the problem? I don't want to hear the problem. You don't go to the doctor and the doctor says, yep, you're sick. <laughs> no, they, you go to the doctor and they tell you you're sick and, hey, we're going to prescribe this to help you get better. So right. if you don't have a prescription, then don't tell me we got a problem because it doesn't exist. I don't want to hear it anymore. I like that. And that's, that's actually, it's a perfect place to, to bring this full circle. Um, so Coach Walton, thank you as, as always for your time and uh, good luck to you as you start this year. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Congratulations on getting married finally. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank super you. Proud, super proud of you. And I'm sure your parents are excited too that now that you got your own, uh, you're off their, uh, their payroll too. So proud <laughs> of you, buddy. Go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.